The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review the conclusion of the New Japan Road Tour and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com. Slash Social Suplex, that's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com with features like dark mode, Improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, it has been three years since we were at the G1 Climax in Dallas, our first Press credentials, got to be a part of the big press conference. Uh, you got to make uh, Will Osprey cry with some questions. What? what I, a, I, I didn't do that. Wasn't you that did that one? No, that was Damon from uh, Super Jcast. Okay, I, I, for some reason I thought it was you, but I mean, regardless. I, I remember the question and everything, too. <laughs> yeah. Regardless, we, we had some some questions thrown out there in that, in that press. I, I did make uh, Juice angry at me. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, I'm asking the hard-hitting questions. I'm not shying away just, you know, you know, throwing up softballs and, and, you know, you know, puff piece questions. Like, I was asking something that was, like, actually legit that was really a concern. And you know what? I think a lot of what I asked on that day to him about his rank in New Japan and about his effect in North America still rings true to this day. Mm. To this day, <laughs> have you seen that video? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Maybe you know that question was bubbling in, in his head for these last three years, and that led to him turning, joining the Bullet Club, and becoming Rock Hard Juice Robinson. I think that I might have planted the seed for his dissension 
probably. Yeah. So I don't remember exactly what I asked, but it was something. Now keep in mind, if you're listening, this is just at the genesis of like AEW, and this is you know just kind of following the surge of popularity of the elite. And my question to him was something along the lines of like, you know, there's all these other Western stars that seem to have made a huge splash in the states, and there's some that would criticize. Um, you know, basically to, or even, I don't, I don't think I said criticize, but there's some who would ask, you know, why does it feel like you might not have caught on the same way some of your other contemporaries have here in the States. And like, he didn't like that question like at all. He's like, he's like, at the end of the day, we all get the same opportunities. New Japan doesn't favor one person over another. We're all out here busting our ass. We're doing the same things. We're, you know, we're all working hard to get, like, he just got real defensive and like, because I, I honestly don't even know what that question even means, blah, blah. Yeah. He, <laughs> it was me. Well, that, that, it, it that me. whole presser, he was like in, in a bad mood, that whole presser. And then you asked him that, and he yeah, that totally like just made things worse for him. <laughs> this was just after he had cut his hair at that uh, infamous Super Juniors match with Mox, too. Yeah. You know, so we were thinking like, oh, he's going to get a big push. He's going to beat Mox at the end of the G1. Like, this is the, the rebirth of Juice Robinson. Like, this is his big push. It's coming, you know. I was I was trying to set him up by asking that question. I was actually trying to set him up to like explain why he was like going to turn a new leaf, basically. You yeah, know, like kind of like a fiery promo, like you know, the old juice is dead. Like, yeah, I'm, this I'm, is my moment. And he was like, "What do you What do you mean? I'm not over." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So that that one didn't go the way I I anticipated it. But at least, you know, at least, hey, uh, that that entire presser we've got made available in our um, in archives. Our, yeah. So it's there. You can listen to it. And, I mean, it's a, it's a little piece of history. But, I mean, there were some people in that, that media scrum asking horrible, horrible questions that was like, why are we wasting our time right now? But uh, yeah, there was like a guy that was like from like a, a music blog and just kept like asking everybody like what their favorite like workout song was or their favorite song. I'm like, dude, ain't nobody trying to come for that right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, check that out if you guys ever get a chance. It's one of the coolest things we've done. We've we haven't been to another like media scrum because I mean, think about it. That's not that like far away from like the pandemic starting. <laughs> Right, yeah, it's only yeah a few months away before pandemic you know came and messed up our Tampa Mania weekend press plans. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, I've been getting reminded of that uh, whole thing. I've been getting all the uh, you know this day in history. You know, it's like three years ago, and I'm like, dang, that was three years ago. Like the fuck. <laughs> yeah, man, dude, time flies by. It's crazy. But yeah, that was a a fun trip, and yeah, hopefully New Japan would do another you know G one or you know, the eventual Russell Dynasty back again here in the U.S., and we can get press conventions and do another presser like that. So it's just so cool being in the room. Obviously, like, Dave was there and all these, you know, top, you know, bigger journalists besides us, you know, the lower-level music blogger guys. But, you know, we're mixing it up with some of the you know, top dogs in the, the wrestling media world. Yeah. I There was one question I asked to, like, Naito where, like, we walked out of that thing, and I was like, he's winning the G1 this year. <laughs> yeah, and he saw this look <laughs> on his face when you like, asked that question, and then... I was like, I was like, he's winning it for sure. He's winning the G one. There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, spoiler alert: He did not win that year's G one. <laughs> <He did not. 
All right. Oh, well, uh, June is in the books, so we got to crown our June wrestler of the month and match of the month. Young uh, boy, take it away with the wrestler of the month. Yeah. So, I mean, June, this has been a weird kind of month because we came right out of the tail end of uh, Super Juniors. We went into Dominion. Then we had the Forbidden Door, but we also had a. a a plethora of New Japan road shows as well. Yeah. <laughs> Leading up to uh, the G1. So it's kind of been a mixed bag here, but um, for the first time ever in the history of this award and this podcast, we are giving the wrestler of the month award to none other than the switchblade Jay white. How is that possible? You ask he's never had a month like this in this month. He not only went to dominion and defeated Kazushiko Kata in the main event for the world title, he turned around just a week or two later and defended it in a four-way against three of the top stars in both New Japan and AEW. And, you know, that's a pretty big, And plus, both those matches were pretty great. So uh, for that reason, we had to award him above Will Ospreay, above Hiromu Takahashi, June 2020. June, right? Yeah, June. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> June 2022 is the month. A switchblade, Jay White. It is his era for for that month, and I think it's over already. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was a good month for Jay. Came in at the the right time. Uh, we'll see if that ever happens again. I mean, it's, it's tough competition when you got guys like Osprey and Ishi, you know, throwing out bangers every month. But uh, the the I always come in at the right time. <laughs> Uh, the June match of the month uh, <laughs> going with Will Ospreay versus Orange Cassidy from Forbidden Door for the IWGP United States title. You know, there was a lot of questioning, you know, is Forbidden Door New Japan canon? Does this match count for this award? Will it count for like our traditional match of the year awards and what we came down to, I mean, it was co-promoted. The show was co-promoted by New Japan Pro Wrestling. This was a IWGP U.S. title match, even though Osprey didn't have the physical belt. He is the, you know, the, the, has a title of IWGP U.S. champion and defended that uh, against Orange Cassidy. So it was a sanctioned IWGP match on a co-promoted New Japan show. Uh, best show on the pay-per-view. Best match in June in New Japan promoter related show and yeah it was an epic matchup so osprey in orange cassidy yeah um grapple and cage match tend to disagree with us on that because <laughs> <laughs> when you try to look up the forbidden door you're going to find it in in both websites under the uh aw banner and i get why because technically well i mean in actuality it was actually an aw event that pretty much featured new japan talent but in the kayfabe and in the marketing and all over the title it's aew x and jpw uh and you know i think according to the canon it's considered a co-branded event it's both companies putting it on it's not just an aew pay-per-view you know so for that reason yeah i think uh none of those are going to count or excursion match, those are all going to be considered essentially a new for for reasons of our voting. Every match will be considered a New Japan U.S. event, essentially. Yeah. So. Yeah, I heard the 
had a 7,000 pay-per-view buys on uh, NJPW World. So definitely New Japan fans checking it out. That's 7,000? Well, I guess it's okay. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, because, I mean, the vast majority of, like, uh, NJP World-like subscribers are typically... Well, not the vast majority, but a large portion of them are like, you know, people from the United States and, and from the West. And most of them were going to get the pay-per-view through their own providers and not through New Japan World. So, yeah, I, I don't think considering that that was like a Monday, like, you know, at like what, like five in the morning, seven in the morning, something like that. Yeah, some crazy time for them. Yeah, that's, that's not bad, I guess. Yeah. At the same time, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, talk about New Japan Road. So we had three New Japan Road shows this past week. And, of course, like every tour seems like this year, it started off with the ominous black and white Lion Mark logo flying through our Twitter feed to announce injuries and illness. So we had Alex Coughlin and Yuta Nakashima Missing these shows due to injury, Coughlin sustained an injury to his left calf muscle, while Nakashima has a left elbow injury. Yo tested positive for COVID-19 and has been self-isolating, so he would miss the July 3rd and July 4th shows and be back in time for the July 5th show where he'd be challenging for the Never Six-Man titles with Yoshihashi and Goto. Uh, Then we had Doki off the tour as well as he came in close contact with someone who was infected with COVID. And then Jado was scheduled a team with Taguchi against Hiromu and Bushi on July 3rd Cork and Hall show. And he presented a fever. And although he tested negative with both antigen and PCR testing for COVID, he did not compete on the July 3rd show. Yeah. I mean, uh, like you said, the much, uh, feared and vaunted, uh, black and white new japan logo yeah it it strikes again and unfortunately you know certain individuals could be on these shows and uh you know kind of delayed a couple things but all in all i mean the show goes on (laughs) yeah so we can kind of run through these results and kind of touch based on any kind of story elements or any kind of important angles that i guess i guess the biggest thing is alex coglin coming all this way not being able to compete i wonder if he's gonna stay in the country and then Maybe they'll make it up for him. We don't know, like, what the G1 looks like as far as, like, tags necessarily. So who knows Mm. what that might entail, or maybe they send him back home. I don't know. Yeah, I was not sure if, like, the injury happened in Japan or if it happened, like, before he flew out. I wasn't sure. Maybe it makes more sense that, yeah, it did happen in Japan, maybe while training or warming up or something. Uh, But, yeah, definitely heartbreaking for him. That was going to be a big opportunity. First time for him back in Japan since 2019. Or actually, yeah, I, maybe was was he on twenty the Wrestle Kingdom in twenty twenty? I don't remember. I don't remember that specifically, but I feel like twenty nineteen was the last time he was here for the Young Lion Cup. Was he here for the Lions Cup? I think. So. I think so. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also don't know the severity of it as well. So I mean, it could be something we don't know the scope and range. It could be long term, short term. It's hard to you know. Yeah, but yeah. I. And he's been dealing with a couple of different injuries this year. Remember, he had the neck injury that uh, took yeah. him out for a while as well. So, yeah, he's been having a rough go this year. Yeah, definitely. 
So uh, starting with the July 3rd show, we had the Great Bash heel team of Togi Makabe and Tomioka Hanma defeating Rihoi Oiwa and Tiger Mask, who was uh, replacing uh, one of the missed guys here. So he was a special ex for this show. Came out with the All Japan Pro Wrestling Junior Heavyweight title and post world. A world junior heavyweight title. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, cutting a promo, letting the fans know he's going to show, you know, all Japan and what New Japan is all about and represent New Japan well as the All Japan Junior World Champion. Draped in gold. There's only one world junior world champion in New Japan, and his name is Tiger Mask 4. Not Taiji Ishimori. <laughs> he's he's junior heavyweight champion. He's not world junior heavyweight champion. <laughs> they they would need to merge that with the IWGP Intercontinental Junior Heavyweight title and then lock it up as a double gold title for like two years before they finally decide, you know what? Fuck it. Butterfly title. Maybe they can uh unify it with the all Atlantic title. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I don't think that one's like uh the X Division title, no limits. Mm, it's not about weight limits. It's about no yeah. limits. Yeah, it's about no no limits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, that was a fun little opener match. Then we had uh, Desperado, Suzuki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru defeating Tenzan, Kosei Vegeta, and Master Wato. Kosei Vegeta has a, a death warrant. He was going after Suzuki big time in this match and throughout this tour here. Uh, but, of course, uh, fell to the Suzuki team. Uh, interesting post-match uh, comments from Desperado wanting uh, John Moxley. We had a question here from Dark Soldier saying, Despy wants Moxley. Should Despy beat Moxley and be the one to battle CM Punk to determine the undisputed AEW champion? I shudder to think what that match would look like if it occurred in AEW. I feel like it would be like sub-six-minute squash, no joke. You think so? I mean, maybe not, but like... He's the world champion. Do you think they're going to let him go life and death with Despy, like a junior? I don't know about that, bro. I don't know. They, Mox is crazy, and so is Despy. They might want to try to have some kind of, you know, death match on on a Dynamite or a pay-per-view or something. I, I wholeheartedly think that we saw a lot of these New Japan talents talk about AEW, the Forbidden Door, and the results and, you know, stuff like that. I just think this is Desperado just bullshitting. I don't anticipate they actually have a match. Uh, I, I, obviously, this question is kind of a joke. <laughs> There's no way, no way he's going to wrestle CM Punk for anything. Yeah. But uh, I mean, if if they did do some sort of death match, that would be that. That's the only thing that would like change it. If it was like a death match, that'd be cool. But like, I don't know, man. I I can't see Desperado like getting a, a top billing in like. AEW for a really competitive match with John Moxley. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Stranger Things have happened, and and you know Mox kind of has some pull, and you know Despy mentioned you know the blood and wanting a death match, and we know how crazy death match stuff that Despy does. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm not convinced that John Moxley really knows who Despy is, but if he was like, I want to bleed, he's like, oh fuck, bring that guy in. <laughs> oh, this guy wants to do a death match. Oh, yeah, oh he wants it. to do a death match. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, so then, if I follow that, I've been working on my skewer spot. <laughs> uh, following that, we had the United Empire team uh, filling in here. Aaron Hanare and the Great Okan they defeated. 
the LIJ team of Bushi and Hiromu. So nothing really special there. Uh, then we had the LIJ team of Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeating Clark Connors, the DKC, and Yuji Nagata. So this is the DKC's first time in Japan coming in um, as a you know young line from the LA Dojo system. And I thought he looked really good. And he seems to be getting over with the Cork and Hall crowd. And uh, it was hilarious. Naito was, you know, making fun of his, like, poses and karate chops uh, and all throughout the match. But uh, it was a really fun match. And I thought DKC looked really good. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a difference, though, between getting over and then getting over as a lion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, there, you know, it's Cork and... They're lions from the states. They're Shibata's boys. Like they're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and give them a good treatment. Uh, the real question is like, after he graduates and he comes back, then can he get over? You know what I mean? Well, will the pop stop? Yeah, it, when, it, <laughs> the real test. Yeah, <laughs> the real test. No, yeah. but 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 in all sincerity, th- those are two very different things because they they know you're not going to win as a lion, and they're going to back you, and they're going to give you the support, you know, as a as a young upstart. Plus, you're kind of putting that fiery like underdog role, like it just kind of works, you know. Yeah, and Milano was like losing his mind, like becoming a big DKC face, like DKC fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, these um these shows were entirely uh, non. English commentary is all Japanese commentary. Yeah, so I enjoyed me some Milano for these uh, three shows. And I, I'm learning Japanese, so it's helping me. <laughs> nice. No, I'm lying. I'm not really. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, It'd be amazing if you could just, like, if, if you could just learn Japanese by watching New Japan, like, I would have learned this shit a long time oh, ago. Yeah. Like, I mean, so far, I've just learned Ichazo Bakayaro. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know you're saying some dirty words, but I don't even really know what you're saying there either. So I don't even know what I don't even know what that is either. So I know it's what Kojima says, but yeah. that's about it. Something about bastard or something. That like, come on, you bastard. Yeah. Uh, so uh, PSAN91 has a question here. It says, how much of Naito's comments about not being invited to Forbidden Door is true? And how much of it is him trying to work an angle? Naito is kind of known for... Uh, trying to work angles even into his shoot interviews of Tokyo sports. I assume that's what this is personally. I mean, um, do I think that there is a possibility that like he didn't get invited to the forbidden door? That is possible, but it might not be like the way it sounds. I'm not saying that Tony Khan was like, fuck that Naito guy. Don't want him on my show. There could have been some sort of conflict schedule-wise, time-wise, or whatever, and maybe, like, New Japan and, and AW, like, it's. I think it's plausible that Tony Khan was like, can we get Naito? And they're like, no, we, you, you, we're not going to be able to get a date on him for XYZ. And so New Japan just never comes to him because it's not going to work out. Or maybe he knew the whole time. Or, you know, we don't really know. I mean, wrestlers lie. That's right. They're, they're, they're workers. And he was coming um, off of that, you know, eye surgery. I know, I know he did work some New Japan right. Road, but it was like a multi-man tag. He really didn't do much, and maybe they didn't want to risk him doing more at that point. Who knows? Maybe, maybe uh, you know, maybe Tony Khan's not a fan of him. I mean, <laughs> that's possible too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I doubt it. I mean, even 
even if, like, let's say you weren't a fan of his, just considering the fact that he's one of the biggest stars in the company, it seems, you know, unfathomable that he wouldn't get invited. But we really don't know the details. But regard, like, let's say if it was real, could he be telling the truth but also working and working an angle? Yeah, those two things are not mutually exclusive. Like, you know, turn a work into a shoot or turn, turn a shoot into a work. We don't really know. And, and like PCN91 said, like, He's kind of known for it. If I had to guess, if I was just giving you my interpretation of everything, I don't think he was not invited in the sense that, like, Tony Khan didn't want him there. You know what I mean? I highly doubt that. Um, You know, so take that for what it's worth. And, like, do I think in the future if they do another one of these, will he be involved? I think that that's a a high likelihood. In fact, even when the... um, when they initially announced the forbidden door, he made comments about like, he didn't know who like was in AEW, and he right. He's like, like, I'm not going to challenge anybody. They need to challenge me. Yeah. So that kind of made you feel like he, even then he was trying to work a program with whoever it might've been. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And it's not like TK is going to be like, you know what? I, I don't want Naito. Goto and Yoshihashi. They definitely, <laughs> uh, no negotiations that you're giving me Goto and Yoshihashi. Um, I need Kanemaru. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but speaking of uh, Yoshihashi and Goto, real quick, I, I skipped over uh, Rampage this past Friday. Those guys had a. a I skip it every week, so it's <laughs> no big deal. Uh, they had a uh, AEW tag team title contendership match against the Young Bucks on Rampage, and thought it was a pretty good match. Nick Jackson called him Go To. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that. I thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a really good uh, tag team match. Uh, you know, like three point seven five four stars. Um, so uh, the middle match on Rampage it was good stuff. Nice. So then, uh, continuing on with uh, New Japan Road, we had the House of Torture team: Dick Togo, Evil Neutro, defeating Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi. This was all building to the dog cage match between Dick Togo and Yano, and then the upcoming never six man title match. Then semi main, we had Okada and Ishii defeating Taichi and Takamichinoku. And then in the main event, Alex Zane teamed up with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kushida to defeat the Bullet Club team of Gato, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori. And I thought a very interesting placing of Alex Zane all throughout this tour. Some of the guys he's teaming with here gets a main event spot. He's teaming with Tanahashi and a returning Kushida. Um, seems to be um, elevating the stock of Alex Zane here. Yeah, I mean, definitely that could be a possibility. I mean, as of right now, it seems like he's slotted to be, you know, like a, a representative of Hantai, you know, Gaijin sort of guy so yeah I mean I thought it was cool the different individuals they sort of had him teaming up with on this tour um this match I thought this match was really outstanding um as far as the three nights that we're covering I think that this is the the one match I'd probably really recommend and sort of say go out of your way and catch it if you you haven't seen it and you know it was nice even though like we knew um that Kushida was coming back it still kind of felt like once he did come out, it's like, oh, shit, Kushida's here. Yeah, and the crowd, like, you can tell a difference in, like, the pace and clapping. Like, the fans are super excited when his music hit. 
yeah, I thought he looked great. Obviously, Kenta was here making sort of his uh, return to the ring since January as well. So, I mean, this is kind of a, a meaningful match in that sense. And, you know, last time we saw Kushida in the New Japan ring, he was wrestling a, a farewell send-off match with Tanahashi, and now they're teaming together with Alex Zane to take on Bull Club. You know, it's sort of like the more things change, the more they stay the same. I mean, I, I feel like we've been here before. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, at the same time, I mean, I really thought that the interactions between Kushida and Taiji Ishimori were very good. Uh, gave me a lot of hope for, you know, whenever this match is going to happen, that it's going to deliver. And, you know, Tanahashi was in there. Um, looks like he's probably taken some time to rest because he was moving okay. Uh, you know, they kind of reserved him for, like, the hot tags and that sort of thing. But uh, he he played his, you know, part really well. And then um, Alex Zane just dynamic, like he kind of always is, and sort of, like, rough around the edges all at the same time. And, you know, the, the Corden crowd hasn't forgot about him whatsoever and still super hot for everything that he does. And Yeah, and he was, you know, doing the most of his moveset, doing all his flips and dives and just add a lot of energy to this match. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this match eventually broke down towards the tail end. And um, after Big Schmaz, they left basically Kushida. And, uh, well, he hit, like, a double handspring back elbow to knock out a couple of Bull Club members. And it sort of just left him and Gato there. And then, you know, he was able to get, what, what would you call that move? It was like a hammerlock suplex. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I think that, I think that's what I would call it. Yeah, I, I can't recall if he was using that previously. Was that something he was doing in WWE or anything like that? Honestly, I saw like very little of his NXT run, but I don't remember him using that when I was watching him on NXT. Well, he hit him with the hammerlock suplex with a high bridge, scored the pinfall over uh, Gato, and, you know, very good match. She just spoke on the mic post-match. I just thought everything here kind of like was really exciting. It didn't overstay its welcome flowed really well and sort of built to what's to come between all these different principles, you know? Yeah. So then on July 4th, show opened up. We had Minoru Suzuki defeating Kosei Fujita 8 minutes and 20 seconds. And this was a fun, you know, Suzuki kills a young lion match. And uh, Fujita, he messed with the wrong one. And Suzuki was just laying it into this guy. And uh, but I like the fire Fujita had, but also, you know, he had to fall to the gotcha pile driver. Yeah, I think at this point I'm falling of these two current lines that came up in the same class. I think I'm higher on Oiwa same than Fujita, but this was really cool. Um, you know, where the where I think the first night might have had the higher end um, you know, main event. I think it, getting back-to-back singles matches to kind of start things out, that's sort of the trade-off here, so you know, starting things off with Suzuki versus a line is always fun. And, you know, the, uh, Fujita definitely got a lesson in pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that first, like, chokehold, like, in the beginning of the match, like, I thought that was going to be it right there. Because, like, he, like, caught him in the middle of the ring and was, like, wrenching on it. And, like, Fujita was, like, you know, squirming with his feet, like, tapping with his feet. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's, like, he could have beat him, but he just didn't because he wanted to keep punishing him. Yeah. And <laughs> normally you'd be like, that's stupid, but because it's, you know, Suzuki in a line, it's like, ah, okay, it makes sense. Yeah. So then following that, we had Satoshi Kojima as the X for this night and filling in and defeating Taka Michinoku Kojima coming out with his GHC 
heavyweight title and rocking a pro wrestling Noah shirt uh, after the match, similar to Tiger Mask cutting a promo uh, about being GHC champion and representing uh, New Japan well. And we had a question here from Oscar Rooney. It says, is Kojima appearing back in NJPW a good look or a bad look for Noah? It's hard to say, but I'll tell you whose fault it is. Noah's. <laughs> if you're worried about the guy that's an undercard dad in New Japan, you know, going back to work in New Japan as an undercard dad, maybe you don't have him headline and put the put your world title on him because eventually he is going to go back and he is going to be on the undercard and he is going to be a 50-something-year-old dad because that's who he was. And they knew that before they put the title <laughs> on him. So, I mean... If it is a bad look, it's not New Japan's fault. It's Noah's fault. Right. This is a New Japan contracted wrestler. They had injuries and people out with COVID, so they had to call on their contracted talent to fill in for people. And so, yeah, like you said, it's all all Noah's fault. And also, you, you see the difference. Like Kojima, undercard opener in New Japan, and then he go to Noah, and he's the, the world champion. And so that just, yeah, goes on Noah's booking and them refusing to go with the future and go with younger wrestlers. So Yeah, it's really weird. Um, but, you know, it was good to see Kojima back. And it was, you know, I thought it was kind of cool to see him wearing the world title of one of their bigger competitors in the country. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, second from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The other funny thing, too, is, like, I I don't know. I, I like when Noah and New Japan did their show back in January, things were very different business wise for Noah. And that's another thing too. It's like if if this is bad for them, it's because things are actually going bad for them. Yeah. And it's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we hear they all had of- some serious, serious uh momentum coming out of last year. And the year prior to that, and we were, there was a point where we were like, this is the company that's doing things right throughout the pandemic. They've maintained fun, exciting main events, and yada, yada, pushing new talent. That, that shit went out the window. Yeah, we hear all the horror stories of what's going on backstage and it's a lot of the politics and a lot of the booking issues that they have going on right now. And you can just see it clearly just by watching that they're refusing to go with the younger wrestlers. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, if it's a bad look, again, it's because things are going bad for them. So it's not like it's not like no one needs to be protected. Like, if they want to protect themselves, they need to, uh, I don't know, work out the uh, whatever they need to work out with what's going on <laughs> yeah. with their company. It sounds like they need a whole, you know, change in management, you know, change in bookers, booking philosophy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so following that, we had uh, Great Bash Heel, Makabe, and Honma defeating Tenzan and Oiwa. Then Despi, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, they defeated Clark Connors, DKC, and uh, Yuji Nagata. DKC looking oh. good, good hair also. Oh, I had a lot I wanted to say about this one. Uh, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we had Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi defeating the House of Torture, Dick, T- Dick Togo, Evil, and Yujiro. Again, the Prevo for those. Two matches, and then the semi-main event, we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeating Wato, Taguchi, Okada, Ishii, and Alex Zane. So once again, Alex Zane in a semi-main event this time, and teaming up with um, Okada, Ishii, and 
you know, six or nine. So again, kind of with some top Hontai guys in a semi-main event spot against LIJ. Um, so interesting booking there for Zayn. And then the big main event of this show, we had Kenta and Taiji Ishimori defeating the team of Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kushida with Ishimori tapping Kushida out with the bone lock to get the win. Uh, very interesting call here. We did have a question about it from PCA91. Are you surprised to see Kushida has already taken his first loss since coming back? I know it's typical for New Japan to book wrestlers losing on their return, but that is usually from a long-term injury. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely surprised by that. At the same time, they put themselves in a position when you looked at this on paper and you were like, okay, there is no Gato here to eat this pinfall. You got Kenta and and Ishimori, Tanahashi, and Kushida. Who's going to lose? And it's like, uh, you know, you can make an argument against pretty much any of these, essentially. Yeah. So... In fact, I can. I'm not making the excuse saying that this is what they should have done, but if you follow the logic of how New Japan typically books, it's not that surprising that the non-champion junior of the four big guys in this tag team match is the one who's eating the pinfall. And it, it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you don't want it to happen, don't don't book the match. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Because I mean, for me, I was thinking that Kushida was going to. Pin Taiji Ishimori to you know continue to set up this upcoming junior right. title match. Yeah, and I mean I think that that probably could have been um, you know potentially the better way to go. I think it does depend on whether or not you're going to have Kushida beat Taiji Ishimori or not. Like how strong does he need to look going into that? Did they feel like they needed to build sympathy for Kushida going into that match? You know, did they need? Ishimori to look stronger because he's going to be losing. It's, it's really hard to say until we see how that plays out. But um, yeah, I did. I was very surprised by it though. I just, I didn't expect it at the same time. To be honest with you, I wasn't really analyzing this match until it happened. And then I was like, wait, who's going to lose? <laughs> right. Cause well, I saw the match graphic last week and I was like, Oh yeah, you know, cool little tag match. But then, yeah, when you right. really, really think about it, like, Oh, like, so who's eating the pin here? And yeah, it was Kushida, you know, tapping out. And yeah, I was surprised too. I was like, oh, I, I thought he was going to escape the bone lock and then maybe transition into the hoverboard lock. But yeah, it clearly it seems like they're trying to build sympathy for Kushida because obviously the fans are very invested and excited that he's back in New Japan. And again, we don't know when this junior title match is even happening. So right. this seems like it's going to be a long-term story. These guys might continue to feud on the undercards of stuff. Um, I know both these guys, I think, well, Kushida at least is definitely going to be at the North Carolina uh, strong tapings and Ishimori might be there also. So we might see this thing kind of continue to play out throughout the summer in the U.S. and Japan on G1 undercards and on strong tapings and strong shows. And then who knows, either G1 finals or whatever September show they do, whether it's destruction or something else, maybe that's when we'll finally get this title match. You know, there is a similar situation that occurred a couple years ago when Hiromu first returned from his long layoff from the neck injury. He came back on the pre-shows in the in the road to Tokyo Dome, and he lost a tag match to uh, Robbie Eagles. And we were like, what are they doing? This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then he turned around and beat Will Ospreay for the title. So, I mean, this kind of is similar to things that, 
Gato's done in the past. Yeah, that's a great example. I didn't think about that, but yeah. So if you follow that, you know, pattern, Kushida's probably going to win the junior title. That's what I'm thinking. I also have this other feeling, though. Remember when there were those reports that he wanted to do things differently? He wanted to debut like either like a a pancreas or like a, a shoot style fighter, or maybe even go like Bullet Club or heel, right? Yeah. And then he came out and he said, all of that was bullshit. None of that was ever true. I never did any of that. The fact that they have him so baby faced up and, and teaming with Tanahashi and all this makes me feel like, what if he's turning? Yeah, he snaps like, you know, I, I came back. I tried doing what you guys wanted me to do. I wanted to be the time splitter again, come out in my back to the future gear. Well, it didn't work. I, I got tapped out in my second match back in the main event. So it's time for a change. That's a way to go. Or maybe like it's already been in. I, and I hate when they do stuff like this, you know, because I don't like to. I hate when like. A good guy is already like pre-planned his turn yeah. but he's still fighting the bad guys the whole time yeah because they're all in on it like <laughs> i hate that that doesn't ever make sense or work for me but um they could be doing that yeah like he could be setting everybody up for a turn and i'm not saying it's going to happen but like there is this part of me it's like i don't know man they got him really baby i mean he always was really baby faced up but like what if what if he's lying about the fact that he doesn't want to change? And what if he absolutely does want to change? <laughs> yeah, like lulling Tanahashi and Hantai in a false uh, security, yeah. and then out of nowhere he turns on them. Yeah, I think that I think that that's something people should be prepared for, possibly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was surprised he took the loss here. Also, uh, surprisingly, this the longer time for this match and the exclusion of Alexane made. For me, this match kind of is still good, but not as good as the first night. Plus, it didn't have as much of a special feeling knowing that it was Kushida's first match back, plus Kent's first match back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, Peace and I had a question about that, too. So is it just me, or was it not the best idea to have Kenta and Kushida have returns in the same match? It seems like Kenta was a bit of an afterthought in the match, which even he alluded to in the backstage comments. Well, he was. Yeah, he, he's he's not as important as Kushida is right now. Yeah, and clearly, you know, Kenta's been in New Japan, you know, since 2019, and he's just out with injury. And Kushida's been gone from the company, you know, been in the states working for NXT, and so this is you know a big homecoming, a big star coming back to New Japan, and yeah, so definitely, you know. From a fan standpoint, it definitely was Kenta being an afterthought, and he's the heel because she gets bay face, and so definitely works out in what Kenta's saying. Yeah, absolutely. So then we take it on to July 5th. Show opened up. We had Wato and Noguchi defeating Fujita and Oiwa. Tenzan teaming up with Kojima. Kojima was X once again for this night, so we had a reunion of Tenkoji. Kojima rocking the Noah shirt again in the GHT title. They defeated the great bash heel of Makabe and Hanma. So we got a little taste of uh, World Tag League here. Uh, then we had the chaos team of Okada and Ishii and Alex Zane. They defeated Clark Connors, the DKC, and Yuji Nagata. We had a lot of great interactions with Clark Connors and Ishii in this match. And post-match, they were talking smack to each other. So it seems like they're continuing to play off the All-Atlantic match. And maybe we'll get another Ishii-Connors match in the future. 
Then we had Tanahashi, Jado, and Kushida defeating the Bullet Club team of Gato, Kenta, and Ishimori. Kushida once again uh, beating Gato to get the win for his team here. And after the match, actually, no, actually, it was Tanahashi. He, Tanahashi tapped out Gato, but after the match, um, Kushida had the herbivore lock on Ishimori on the outside. So getting a little bit of revenge on Ishimori for the previous night. Then we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito. They defeated Despi, Suzuki, Taichi, Takamichi Noku, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Then in the semi oh, that match was pretty good. Yeah, that was a uh, fun match. And those are, you know, obviously the two teams that always have really good, fun multi-man matchups. And there was some some G1 implications there. Uh, I believe Sonata and uh, Taichi are on the same block. And post-match, they were, like, comparing bodies with each other. And, like, <laughs> Taichi was, like, grabbing, like, Sonata's waist. And, like, yeah, it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, following that The semi-main event We had the Dog Cage Death match With uh, Toroyano Defeating Dick Togo 7 minutes And 20 seconds Yeah uh, Not for me Yeah I think we You know we talked about it A little bit last week You know Why is this happening Yano's no longer KOPW Like there was no need For some wacky Stipulation just because Yano likes dog cages, or maybe it's Togo who likes the dog cages, and it's his booking thing. Uh, yeah, but we had that, and, you know, I'm sure there are some people who love this. I mean, it's the, the Yano comedy of, you know, hiding under the ring and, you know, running around screaming, asking the fans where Dick Togo was, and lights going out, and Dick Togo choking Yano with the garrot wire, um, and then eventually uh, Yano gets Dick Togo trapped in the dog cage, locks it in, and he wins this match, but this we all got a little bit of a Heyman special here because towards the end of the dog cage match, we did have House of Torture coming out trying to help Dick Togo. Then the Chaos team came out to help Yano, and that allowed Yano to get Dick Togo in the cage, and then they immediately started the never-open-weight six-man title match with uh, Sho and Yo in the ring. Um, it's kind of to be expected, though, just considering I didn't even think about it last week where I was like, you know, oh, it's, you know, Chaos versus uh, uh, House of Torture back-to-back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so for the majority of the match, Dick Togo was still locked in the cage, so House of Torture w- w- wasn't able to capitalize on outside interference. But then eventually, uh, Yudro got the keys and was able to get Dick Togo out of the dog cage and, you know, your typical House of Torture shenanigans, uh, but uh, towards the end, Evil, Dick Togo, and Yudro all got locked in the dog cage while uh, Sho was just left alone with the Chaos team, and Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi did a couple different uh, triple-team moves on Sho. They did a super direct drive, and Yo pinned Sho, and we have new never-open-weight six-man champs, Yoshihashi, Hiroki Goto, and Yo. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty surprised here just because, um, I don't know, it kind of felt for a little while there like they might potentially be building to uh, like a Stronghearts versus um, House of Torture, like six-man tag down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's not happening here. <laughs> um, plus, like with Yo being on the team, I just was like, you know, I've lost all faith in Yo, so I'm just going to pretty much call him losing pretty much in any situation that's you know of any importance but uh they proved me wrong here again it is the never open weight six-man tag team title so it doesn't hold that much importance but 
this was fine. Um, kind of, you know, wonky finish at the end there. Um, I do have the concern that with Evil coming off of these belts that it kind of frees him up to, like, be a block winner when G1 time comes, which I think the Naito fans are probably, like, hell no, but I think it's a lot more likely than people are anticipating right now. Dude, I had the same exact thoughts as soon as I, cause I got spoiled before I watched the match. So as soon as I saw that they had a one, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like they're freeing evil up. And, and that's what we've been talking about. Like, you know, we kind of like that these guys were stuck with never six man tile because that means that they were never going to be elevated into other tile pictures or into main events or really be pushing th- stuff that we care about. But now that they have lost the titles, this frees evil up, like you said, to win a the win that well, he's in the D block, right? Uh, or C block. I can forget which one he's in. I think it's in. C block. I yeah. can't remember. He can win that block and easily be a semifinalist. Um, and, and they can get back on track on trying to push him back into the world title picture. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. Um, as far as like the outlook for the chaos team, I mean, like I said last week, this isn't exactly the Ishii Goto Yoshihashi um, team that we you know, we're so fond of and came to admire last year. It's not quite that, but maybe they can do something here worthwhile with Yo on this team potentially because, I mean, Goto and Yoshihashi really had a couple great years back-to-back, and, I mean, they're coming off of a high from Forbidden Door and then that match with the Bucks. So, you know, maybe that maybe this is a good thing for Yo. I don't know. Yeah, and it's funny. There was a post-match comments from Yoshihashi, and he was like, you know, we got these titles. We want to win more titles. You know, we haven't forgot about the AW tag titles and the Young Bucks. He's like, let's get the Young Bucks in the World Tag League. <laughs> I'm like, brother, those guys didn't work the Tag League when they were in New Japan. They are definitely not working the Tag League now. <laughs> Did you see uh, when Kenta attacked Tanahashi and um, asked him to apologize yes. for putting him out? <laughs> He's like, didn't you learn when you do something bad, you have to apologize? <laughs> He's like, you apologize. And then he was like, did you capture that on tape? He's like, burn me a CD. Yeah. Send me a laser disc or something. <laughs> uh, we have a couple questions here from Les Commission 7252. It says, which match was worse? The Kennel from Hell match at Unforgiven between Al Snow and Big Boss Man or the Dog Cage match between Yano and Togo? The Kennel from Hell is worse. Way worse, yeah. This was just goofy Yano stuff. Speaking of which, have you thought about the fact that Yano's in the same block as Filthy Tom Lawler? Uh, I mean, I, I know they were, but I really haven't put too much thought into it. Bro, think about how stupid that match is going to be. Dude, yeah, Filthy Tom's going to be completely like a goofball with Yano. Bro, Filthy brings up Yano on like Observer all the time. <laughs> yeah, He's probably been dreaming of what he's going to do when he gets, he was like, all right, I'll work the G1. But you gotta give me Yano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, Les Commission also asked, "Can you guys say that the main event was a good payoff to the feud between Chaos and House of Torture? Even though the feud was ran through and nothing special, it gave a good ending for Bishimon to hold the Never Belts that they carried since the pandemic, and a new beginning for Yo and his career." Yeah, I mean, I. Um, I mean, I'll say I wasn't super invested in this part of the Chaos House of Torture feud. I mean, I was more invested when Ishii was involved in some of the stuff they were doing there. Uh, But for me, I just thought that, you know, 
it was fine. Yeah, I mean, it's a good payoff, so to speak, for the fans, you know, because House of Torture are the heels and Chaos are the faces. So in that sense, it worked out. But, I mean, I wasn't super really, really invested in this story here. Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I've, I've heard anybody that I know, not that I run in deep New Japan circles, but, like, <laughs> I've seen a lot of clamoring online for, like, oh, man, I can't wait for uh, Bishamon and, and Yo to get their uh, – the comeuppance over these house torture bozos. You know what I mean? Like I haven't seen anything like that. Yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, in terms of like, was it a good match was fine. Had a happy ending, you know, house torture got put in a, in jail where they belong <laughs> behind bars. Cause they're menaces to society and to, uh, the enjoyment that I have of watching wrestling. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was whatever. Yeah. Then we got a question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. Is it odd that the New Japan dads are all making triumphant returns draped in gold? When is Hamamania kicking off? I mean, Hama's been doing a lot of work uh, on like outside of New Japan la- end of last year, this year. So, I mean, not a lot, but some. And he's been having good matches. I feel like Hamamania, the fact that he's wrestling is Hamamania, period. <laughs> yeah, the fact that he's yeah alive and you know able to walk and wrestle, yeah. Hamamaya is running. But yeah, I mean, it'd be cool to see Hanma win a title somewhere. I do think it's funny that, like, New Japan's like, yeah, you can crown a champion from a roster, but it's going to be a dad. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, all right, damn it, we'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> give us give us Tiger Mask. <laughs> oh, man. So that wraps up the New Japan Road Tour fun uh, little three show run here. As we get into a little break before the G1 Climax starts on July 16th. So let's move on over to New Japan Strong. We had a special episode, a United Empire theme version of Strong called Empire Rising. So show opened up. We had the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis defeating TMDK's Bad Dude Tito Jonah, Mikey Nichols, and Shane Haste. Mad Mikey Nichols. Uh, excuse me. Yes, Mad Mikey Nichols. No longer of chaos. Um, no, member of Team DK slash chaos. Oh, he's always in both? Yeah, just like the best friends. And just like uh, Wheeler, Utah? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was, you know, follow up from the uh, Capital Collision show in D.C. where these teams Squared off, and they've been building um, a lot of heat between Aussie Open and uh, Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols. Both these teams are also in the strong tag team title tournament. Uh, but this was Sh- Shinsuke too. Oh, Shinsuke still in chaos. <laughs> he's still in chaos, but he's also in that weird uh, tandem with uh, Buchenhagen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this was a really fun uh, matchup here. Once again, Great Okan super over. Huge pops for his entrance and when he was in the ring. I thought Aaron Hanari looked really good. He did this, this cool, like, springboard uh, spinning kick thing. I know he's been working on his kicks and strikes and his Muay Thai and stuff like that, but that that was pretty cool to see, and it just kind of gave me hope for his performance within the G1. Um, and Aussie Open stuff and Nichols and Hay stuff was good as well. Uh, so, yeah, really uh, fun matchup here. Aaron Hanare hitting the Streets of Rage on Bad Dude Tito to get the win. Yeah, I thought everyone looked really good. I didn't see anybody that, um, you know, was like, oh, they're the low man. They, you know, drag things down. Everybody kind of play their role uh, to a T. 
very impressed with Jonah in, in this match as well. It's kind of funny because they, I'm hearing discourse online about people not being too like excited about Jonah being in the G1, and I'm like, you guys are not watching this man. Like, you're not seeing him in Impact. You're not seeing him on Strong. Like, he's gonna fucking rule. I thought he looked really good in this match as well. Yeah, Jonah's gonna be a lot of fun to watch in G1 this year. So then the second match of the night, we had Jeff Cobb defeating Willie Mack. And boy, Willie Mack came out here to get a contract. This guy was doing all his hits, all his, you know, his step-up Hurricane Ronalds, all his, you know, Japanese arm drags, his flips, all the cool big man high spots. Jeff Cobb gave Willie Mack a ton in this match. You know, you really don't see Cobb bumping a lot. You know, he's kind of the big bruiser in New Japan, but... This guy was bumping all over the place, taking big, you know, sky-high power bombs, eating the standing moonsault. He ate a lot of Willie Mack's offense and ended up winning the match with a schoolboy, kind of barely escaping. Yeah, I mean, Cobb just recently, or not Cobb, Willie Mack just recently left Impact. So, I mean, he's on the lookout for, you know, potentially signing with another major company. Um, this isn't the first time these guys have worked together, you know, um, uh, as far as like my fandom goes, I've seen them work together extensively in Lucha Underground back in the day when Cobb was Matanza Cueto. So uh, I'm sure that they probably have some familiarity there. And that probably speaks to why they chose Willie Mack to work Jeff Cobb on this particular evening. And, you know, while I didn't think this was anything that was like, you know, blow my mind great. It was still very, very good. I thought it was a great showcase to kind of just, it, you know, it kind of felt like a an elevated tryout match, like Willie Mack kind of getting all his shit in and showing what he's capable of doing. And like you mentioned, like Cobb just kind of putting him over and then sort of just barely surviving him. So uh, whether or not we, we see Willie Mack come back, I don't know. But there is this trend with New Japan Strong where they're bringing in outside guys and they'll they'll have performances like this. And and the one thing I like about it is they go hard. Yeah. <laughs> they go hard because they're trying to get signed. So then we benefit from seeing them do, like, all their coolest stuff. So, you know, it works out. But um, I like Willie Mack a lot. And I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him return. But, uh, you know, I don't know if he's how well he'll fit into the New Japan aesthetic essentially right because even though he's a big guy obviously he's doing more of the high flying kind of the big spot that's kind of the big appeal about him and i I don't know how that really works you really don't see guys his size in new japan do it wrestle the way that he wrestles yeah no he's kind of more adapted to that like indie style wrestling and he's very good at it he's very you know entertaining um and he's got like a, a different and unique look as well but you know, New Japan isn't always so character-driven, and it's not always so flippy. Like, you kind of also have to be able to, you know, get gritty with it. I don't know, you know, I don't know if Willie Mack, I'm sure can. I just haven't really seen him in that sort of environment, you know what I mean? Right, but I think for now he'd be a fun guy to keep having on strong tours, and maybe, yeah, eventually... Game to Japan and see kind of how the crowd reacts and how he does, you know, put him in there of Ishii. Let's see how he does there. Yeah. I wonder also, too, like, how old is Willie Mack? Um, isn't he, like, is he late 30s or is he in, he's in 40s now? I'm going to look. 
Okay, yeah, so he's 35. So, I mean, for him, now's the time to really kick into gear and get signed somewhere because, I mean, these are this is like the tail end of his, like, prime time, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so hopefully it works out. He gets signed to New Japan. And, yeah, I'd love to see him on strong. So in the main event of this Empire Rising, we had the leader of the United Empire and the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Champion, Will Ospreay, accompanied by Aussie Open, defeated Homicide, who was accompanied by Eddie Kingston, 20 minutes and 47 seconds. 11 years to the day from the last time Homicide wrestled in a New Japan ring. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this wasn't a match I was ever expecting to really see, and Definitely wasn't expecting to see it in New Japan, on New Japan Strong. But, um, you know, I, I got to say, man, it's with Will Ospreay, one of the things right now with how hot he is, how on fire he is, how entertaining he is, you know, one of the things people point to when they're trying to make claims that he is, you know, the best wrestler going today or the top wrestler of the year they point to how many great matches he's had. And he's not alone in that. There's a lot of people out there who are having great matches and lots of companies. What makes Will Ospreay a little different is the ability that he has to give almost everybody their absolute best match right now. And this has got to be one of the best homicide matches I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about homicide in the last couple of years, and, you know, he's looked pretty washed. It hasn't been, you know, the great homicide that you remember from, like, 2003, 2004, and early Ring of Honor right. and Impact when he was in you know, the original LAX. Uh, but, yeah, but here, like, working Osprey turned the clock back. Great matchup. He he brought the fork out to try and stab Osprey with the fork, and we got the, the cop killer, um, you know, vertebraker drop, which Osprey kicked out of, which was a crazy spot. Uh yeah, there was so much, you know, fun and cool spots here. Like I mentioned, Eddie Kingston was out there um, kind of, you know, give support and second um, homicide where he had Aussie open on the outside for Osprey and did some cool stuff on the on the rampway. Um, and it's a lot of really cool like reversal and sequences. Um, homicide hitting his cutter, Osprey hitting his Oz cutter. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool moves and reversals in this match. Yeah, I thought um, everybody here looked great. I thought Kyle Fletcher on the outside added quite a bit as well, uh, the same way that Eddie Kingston did. And like you said, turning back the clock, that's the best way I could probably put it. Um, you know, they're, like they even had a few moments there where obviously you don't think Homicide's going to win necessarily, but they did a great job with some of the false finishes. And, you know, they, I, 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 I don't want to say that he was the Homicide of old, but he wasn't old Homicide. <laughs> you know yeah like he wasn't the old guy that we've been seeing that like can barely move like he wasn't quite that like so this was i thought it was really fun it was really really cool it was sort of like one of those matches where you might look back later and be like that was weird i can't believe this even happened but uh that's pretty dope that it did happen <laughs> yeah and um yeah i mean osprey's the man right now like just going out there working with all these different opponents different styles different ages different promotions, different countries, and knocking it out of the park time after time after time after time. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's 2019 all over again. You know, that, that crazy year he had then. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said last week, like I'm sending my ballot in now, Will Ospreay, Wrestler of the Year. This guy is killing it. You know, there's been a lot of 
comments in in interviews with him and Kenny Omega kind of, you know, dropping jabs at each other. And when he came out here, I, I kind of got a Kenny vibe with him com- mm-hmm. coming out with Aussie Open. Like, the Aussie Open are the Young Bucks. He's Kenny. Uh, and so like, mm. I, I could see that happening when they have to have the match of whenever, Interesting. whenever it happens, you have like Osprey coming out with Aussie open, Kenny coming out with the bucks. Like uh, I like the dynamics that's building here. Also homicide eating a Stormbreaker. I didn't expect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure he's going to like hit me with the hidden blade brother. <laughs> yeah. Which he did. I was like, Oh, that's it. And he kicked out. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, after the match, Eddie Kingston got in the face of Osprey and Aussie Open, but, you know, it's just a lot of hot air. They didn't come to blows, and Osprey and United Empire, they celebrate to close the show. Yeah, so a fun little uh, theme episode here, Empire Rising. It's cool if they continue to do stuff like this where you kind of focus on a faction and really uh, build them up. Yeah, and I mean, coming out of the show, I mean, this was sort of set up as like a special one-time United Empire-centric show, but, like, and it could have just been that in a vacuum, but coming out of it, we have, with all the tension between Osprey and Eddie Kingston, I could easily see them doing that match down the road somewhere. Yeah. And also the TMDK versus Aussie Open, that's going to happen somewhere, so they kind of further that as well. So we have a couple things to look forward to, plus possibly Willie Max return. So, I mean, all in all, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Yeah, it was a really fun episode of Strong, and that will set things up for uh, next week as they kick off the Ignition Tour, and the Strong Openweight Tag Team Title Tournament will kick off. So in the first round, the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, will team up with Young Lion, Yu Yuamura, take on Aaron Solo and Nick Komoroto of The Factory. Then Jonah will take on Taylor Russ in a singles match, and then the main event will be another First round match in the strong openweight tag team tournament. Uh, TMDK's Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols will take on the West Coast Wrecking Crew of Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs. So with uh, TMDK and Aussie Open on opposite sides of the bracket, I'm starting to it's starting to feel like it's going to be them in the finals. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking as well. So uh, let's run through these quick news item here, and then we had a couple of uh, mailbag questions, and then we'll get to recommended match of the week. Uh, so Fred Rosser, the, the new strong openweight champion, will be doing a online meet and greet on July 12th. Then there was a New Japan bout signed for Ric Flair's last match pay-per-view event. It was announced on social media that the Wild Rhino Clark Connors will face Ren Narita on July 31st on that show. Then Kushida and El Esperado have been added to the high alert New Japan Strong tapings on July 24th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Free match of the week, Masahiro Chono versus Keiji Muto from the 1991 G1 Finals. Then in RevPro, Pac will be returning to defend his All-Atlantic Championship, his first defense against Shooter Umino. Uh, Alex Zane, we mentioned him getting some uh, preferable you know, booking. He has his first official NJPW shirt available on the Tokon Shop Global. In other Alex Zane news, we saw the feud play out with him and Ace Austin, the former Zest friends. They had a match on Impact last Thursday where Ace Austin defeated Alex Zane with the help of his Bullet Club brethren, Chris Bay. Loser. <laughs> so we'll see that story continue. 
Um, and last thing here, the entire series of Tiger Mask W featuring various NJPW wrestlers in supporting roles is now available for free on Tubi. So I have, let me just ask you, how is that news? When, where did you get this news from? The, the Tiger Mask W? Yeah. I saw it on uh, New Japan Reddit. All right, man. That's been available for like years. Okay. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm like, what? How is that news? I, I was like, I. so have you ever been on Tubi? Uh, I have, but I said I didn't know that that Tiger Mask W was on there. Bro, I fucking love Tubi. Tubi is especially like with how much I like horror films. Like Tubi has some of the best free horror films that are out there. But like not just that. They have a lot of stuff on there. The one There's a few drawbacks, but one of the big drawbacks Tubi is like they have so much content on there that it's like really hard it's not like for instance on netflix like they you know how netflix will like uh sort of suggest things for you that are based on your preference and everything mm-hmm. they kind of do that on tubi but like not really they're not good at it at all so like if you go to like find some you really have to do a lot of digging to even find what you might be looking for if you even happen to know that they <laughs> do or don't have it yeah but they've had tiger mask w the whole animated series for like a long time now um, they also have all the Lucha Underground there, too. Yeah, I knew that Lucha Underground was on there. Yeah, I just saw it, it was trending on the New Japan Reddit. I was like, oh, Tiger Mask W. That's weird. Well, yeah, it's that's not new, but uh, I guess it's good that we make mention of it. I guess I should have probably told you at some point. <laughs> um, funny story, the other night I was going through classic films that are on there because I'm a big like cinephile, and I found that they had some like san francisco 1950s wrestling i tried to watch it god it was bad so <laughs> bad <laughs> really 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 bad but I, I i i fast forward through most of it but i'm like it was all two out of three they're like we will be wrestling under australian brown system i'm like what <laughs> also they had a they had a tag team match where it was all heels so no one knew who to like cheer for. It was I was like I didn't think they did this back then. That sounded like some WCW booking. Vince yeah, it, Russo. Was we- it was weird, bro. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love Tubi. Tubi's the best. Nice. I'll have to check it out. I have to watch it. See if I can catch some Tiger Mask W. But I've never watched it, so I don't even know if it's good or not. I've got it like on a saved to my list, but I don't know. <laughs> I feel like the the reason I haven't watched it is because like it's so out of date. Right, yeah. You know, like, I think Okada's a heel in Tiger Mask W. Cause yeah, when, when was that? Was that, like, 2018? When that? It was, like, 2016, 2015 that it was airing. But, like, keep in mind, it's an anime. So it was, like, being, like, probably written and drawn in, like, 2014, 2013. Yeah. So, like, Okada's, like, a heel. Because when, when was that, that uh, Tiger Mask W versus Tiger the Dark match? I don't remember that like 2016, I think, or something. Yeah, I know like AJ Styles is in the show. Kenny Omega's a junior. Yeah, so it's definitely yeah. It's old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's why, like, that's one of the reasons where I was like, I don't know if I want to see Ibushi or whoever's in it. Like, you know, it's just, I don't know. <laughs> I'll, I'll check it out someday. Let's uh, move on to questions here. So Rambo and Slam Pig ask. Has NJPW announced how the G1 semifinals are structured yet, as in which block winners face off, and I missed it, or is that announcement still pending? Yeah, we haven't heard anything, and it's 
I'm, I was thinking about that driving the other day. I was getting frustrated. I'm like, how are we going to do our prediction contest if we don't know how to structure it? Because they haven't revealed any of this. Right. And I heard Dave, like, assuming that it was going to be A versus B and C versus D. But I'm like. He don't know. They have not officially announced that. And we've seen in the past when they've done stuff like this, sometimes it's A versus C or B versus D or B that versus is- C and A versus D. E, A versus D. D. I think that's usually how they do it is A versus C and B versus D. Yeah. Um, if I was if I was guessing, I would probably guess that that's what they end up doing. Yeah. So hopefully they make an announcement. I do know that there is a press conference. Um, I believe it's Thursday morning our time. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's mainly for New Japan business, but maybe they'll announce that too. I mean, at some point they have to announce how this thing's going to you know, finish out. No, it was my understanding that that was a G1 press conference. Okay. Not the official one, but a G1 press conference. Okay. So, yeah, so hopefully I will get the clarification there, and then also we can get things set up for our G1 contest. Uh, Strong Style Demon asks, do you guys think Shibata versus Osprey could be happening? I would love it, but the, the reality is, is Shibata can't take any blows to the head of any sort. Not that I'm... Uh, wanting to see that, but I mean, it's really hard to to work a wrestling match when you can't, you really can't take bumps that rattle your head. You can't take any sort of forearms to the head, any or any kicks or anything at all. You know what I mean? So, the the only types of matches he's had have been faux grappling matches, and even the ones that involve strikes, they're all to the body. Right. Yeah. I mean, they could do an exhibition kind of thing, like he did with uh saber or something like similar to what he did with friend narita but a full-on match is probably not, never going to happen yeah I, d- I really doubt it uh grunty dodds asks what's your take on osprey posting photos from a uk pride event do you think he's being earnest or is he just pandering so people forget his past issues aka pulling a buff bagwell it's my opinion and uh, other people might have different opinions than me, but this is just my opinion. It is my opinion that if someone is at one of those like pride events and posting photos of it, they're probably supporting it. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I find it, I find it difficult to think that someone who was opposed to it would actually go there and actually post those things. Um, you know, most people that are like homophobic or whatever, like they're not going to do that, you know? So I do understand that there's like the concern that maybe it's not um, sincere or whatever, but uh, I just feel like just because someone had an indiscretion in their past doesn't mean that they like hate gay people or something like that. Right. Or like every single future action they do is, you know, Predicated on a mistake they made in the past or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, next, but but, people want to hate Osprey. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to find any reason that they can to. Also, people want to hate Kenny. I feel like when that match happens, it's going to be a battle of the most hated. Who do you think is going <laughs> to like be the heel there? Like, <laughs> I, I, Honestly, I don't even know. I, I, I guess it depends on where it happens. If it happens to AEW, I think you, you run Osprey as a heel. It's like Warrior Hogan, but opposite. <laughs> uh, next set of questions here from Raising Falcon says NJPW has seemed to run out of fresh matchups. 
the roster has felt pretty stale. And by this, I mean two things. The peaking order in the roster has been virtually the same for quite some time. The only people who have seen to actually move up has been Shingo and Osprey to some degree, but they don't really offer a whole new set of fresh stories or matchups. NJPW doesn't really release wrestlers from contracts, and thus they have a huge backlog of wrestlers that don't really contribute anything. I, for one, think it's just Japanese culture getting in the way of being a lifer in a company you sign up to. I believe this is hampering NJPW as it doesn't allow them to push out new fresh wrestlers from other companies, but this act is seen very negatively by Japanese standards. What I'm trying to get at is that if you believe NJPW is stalling creative-wise. That's a lot to kind of unpack there. (laughs) Um, Just so everybody knows, Jeremy did not mispronunciate these words. He he wrote pouch, but he meant poach. And he meant pecking order, not peaking order. So we, when you guys send questions, we appreciate the questions. Proofread them. Because we're going to read what we, we're like Ron Burgundy. We will read <laughs> <What's> anything <laughs> whatsoever you write. We're going to read it. Um, you know, there, there's some truth to what you're saying. And then I think there's, you're overlooking quite a few things all at the same time. So I want to give a fair and balanced answer to this question. Cause I think it is valid. Um, this is something that uh, Rich Latta, shout out to Rich, has kind of pointed out for some time that like New Japan has had a roster that is aging and, you know, a lot of those guys have been here for a long time. Your Naitos, uh, your Ishii's, uh, Goto, Goto, you Suzuki. name it. There's a, Suzuki, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Um, and... Tanahashi, you know, all of them pretty much. The, the 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 deal though is that like when this company was at its peak for that like eight year period, probably maybe more, all of those guys were wrestling each other. Very similar in some uh respects to how like Dragon Gate was kind of like that. Dragon Gate had all these young guys, they all worked together forever, they all learned the house style, and they were able to put on amazing contests every night all the time and that's how new japan was but as time has gone on a lot of those stories have been told a lot of it has kind of gone on for a very prolonged period and we've reached a point where it's like okay you have you have aged veterans that have a lot of bumps on their bump card they have a lot of wars they've told a lot of stories what's the breaking point for when you start to down cycle some of those guys and to be fair, I think some of them already have started to be downcycled. It's just maybe the New Japan fans are a little, well, I think one, maybe unaware of it. Number two, it might not be happening as fast as some people are thinking it should happen, you know? Yeah. But with that being said, I mean, to pretend that they haven't elevated anybody in what you know he didn't give us a specific time but he mentioned osprey he mentioned shingo i mean those aren't small things to overlook i mean i mentioned how they have this great roster of talent right well most of them are still great even now even though they've been here for a long time and even though they've got age on them it doesn't mean they can't still go sometimes they just need a new fresh dance partner and that's what they've gotten with those two guys Along the way, too, we saw the elevation of Ibushi. We saw the 
uh, you know, Jay White come back from excursion. He's only been back for, I mean, yes, it's been a while. I don't want to make it seem like it's no time at all, but it's not like it's been uh, a prolonged period of time. I mean, it, pretty much when this podcast started is when he first returned from excursion. So you have those guys in play. You have Evil, who's been elevated as well. Sonata, who's been given his time in the sun, you know, here and there. John Moxley, Juice Robinson. And then, so you're kind of overlooking some of that stuff. Plus, all the guys that were here that left, like Shinsuke Nakamura, like Kenny Omega, like AJ Styles, yada, yada, the list goes on. But where we stand today in 2022 there are quite a few amazing talents that are down the pipeline right now in both the, the Nogi system, the uh, LA Dojo system, on excursion as we speak, not to mention all of the uh, relationships that they've forged with outside companies during this time, namely AEW, and what a simple talent exchange could do for New Japan's business just by introducing one or two guys really is kind of awesome plus all of the talents that they've been cultivating over in america during this pandemic with new japan strong and a lot of people don't really count that as new japan proper they don't pay attention to that and they don't see those guys on the same level but they're gonna be really surprised when a fred rosser or a filthy tom waller or if he can clear his name at Chris Dickinson or, you know, what have you. If these guys start coming over, Jonah making waves, which I think we're already going to see the start of that with Tom Waller. And we're going to see the start of that. Plus they're elevating ELP. They've got guy, you know, Hiromu, they've got a lot more at their disposal than you're giving them credit for. And this isn't me just being like a new Japan Homer and captain. This is something we've been talking about for a while here that like we are on the precipice of a very exciting time for New Japan Pro Wrestling right now. This is kind of the start of it. As the pandemic is ending, as they're going to allow cheering to come back, and as we're going to get see this influx of outside talent that uh, affords them to have fresh matchups, new stories, you know, just more vibrant things going on. We already saw the the genesis of this with this year's best of the super junior. So I really can't co-sign a lot of what you're saying here. Do I think there's been a stagnation creatively? Yes. But I also have to, you also have to take into consideration the entire pandemic and everything that entailed right. and all the travel restrictions and everything else. And, you know, I don't want to rehash all of it, but you know, I, I feel like they've done a pretty good job. In the, in the face of all those mounting problems and issues and even the ones that are still being thrown to them on a seems like daily or weekly basis since time has gone on. Um, but we're standing on, on the edge of like, this shit's about to be over and it's about to be lit. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of already seeing, like you mentioned, with Super Juniors and even with like the New Japan dads are kind of already being phased out for the most part. Like, we mentioned these guys are going off to NOAA and all Japan and other promotions uh, to, you know, main event those shows while we're making room for new guys. We're having all like the LA Dojo guys coming, you know, Clark Connors is working more. We saw the DKC making his debut. Coughlin was scheduled for this tour. Um, so I think we're going to see more of the LA Dojo guys being integrated as well. And a lot of the more of the new Japan strong roster like you mentioned like we're already seeing like you mentioned jonah and filthy tom in the g1 and 
you know, we've we've heard that there are guys on strong that have New Japan contracts, like full time New Japan contracts, and I think we're going to see more of those guys coming over to Japan and um, being integrated. So, like you mentioned, there's so many talent pools that they've been developed, been developing, um, including what's going on at the Fall A Dojo as well. We saw that with that um, that documentary series that happened on New Japan World a couple of months ago. Like they have so many dojo systems and relationships that are happening right now. I think it's only a matter of time. I don't think it's going to be a, you know, they're not going to release like, you know, 20 people and then fill them all back. But with, right. <laughs> I think it's going to be slowly, like we heard reports, like this potentially could be Ishii's last G1 this year. Like it was reported that he was on the, the chopping block due to his age. So I think we're, eventually these guys, they're going to age out. Like New Japan, we've seen that. When these, these Makabe's and your Tenzans and Kojimas and Nagatas, once they hit that certain age, like they give them a, a final G one and they kind of get them out of there. Um, yeah, another thing too to add to that is that we are in a unique time in New Japan's history where they have dads. New Japan didn't always have dads. You know, hmm. a lot of the guys that got that were of the the younger generation that got older that were being phased down. Uh, granted, it, the, we're talking about pre-Gato time periods, but when other bookers, New Japan's history, started to down-phase those types of guys, you know what they did? They left. You know why? Because they still had names and brands and could draw and wanted to get paid more and wanted to work, and they were still able to go to some extent. And that's why you're seeing so many of those types of individuals from those generations show up in places like Noah now looking for a payday. Um, but new Japan didn't always have a bunch of older, you know, statesmen and past generation dads just kind of lingering around. The reason that like Kojima and Nagata and Nakanishi and all those guys were able to do that was they kind of came from a black period of new Japan's business where, they weren't able to go to the outside. And then even if they did, they kind of caught the wave of new Japan's rise in business. So why would they leave when the best place to, to work and get paid was new Japan itself? Um, but I wouldn't be surprised with what's happening right now with some of them, like getting tastes of, of, you know, some uh, more utilization on the outside where, you know, could there be a case where like, Kojima just doesn't come back. I think that's very plausible. We've seen history where guys do do that. They say they're going to go out on loan. Uh, Jun Akiyama is a great example of this, where it's like, I'm going to go help them. I'm going to go out on loan. And they're like, oh, I'm getting a lot of work here. And, you know, they eventually just kind of becomes a natural fit and they just stay. So, you know, this is kind of a, a unique thing, this whole New Japan dad thing. It hasn't always been like this. Yeah. The one thing I will say um, to kind of, on his side for this question is I do feel like at least with the LA Dojo Young Lions I don't know I feel like there's a little bit of a hesitation to go kind of full on with those guys and I agree I feel like what's happening right now with the Young Lion system altogether is kind of weird because in in the past we saw when guys went on an excursion like you pretty much weren't really seeing them obviously with everybody having streaming and YouTube, you can also keep up with what they're doing on excursion, but you really didn't see them on a new Japan promoted show until they came back and re-debuted, repackaged, had their new name, new gimmick and whatever. 
Uh, but now with all these LA Dojo guys, like they're getting gimmicks and we're seeing them on strong. We're seeing them in Japan. Uh, Shota Umino, we've been seeing him on some new Japan com- uh, promoted stuff and he hasn't, you know, he's still on excursion. Um, and so it's just kind of weird that these guys are not, you know, Ren Narita, we saw him wrestle Shibata at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, so these guys are not, are being exposed to the New Japan audience still on their excursion. So I'm kind of wondering what that is because it, it kind of feels like a Aaron Hanare situation where Hanare didn't really go away and he was around. And even though he graduated and had a some kind of gimmick, he still felt and worked like a young lion. It was kind of really in that opening spot. And I don't want that to be happening to these current crop of young lions, especially the LA Dojo guys, because we've seen them kill it on strong. And I think that, and we saw what happened with Clark Connors at the pay-per-view. Like I feel like these guys just need more opportunities. I think they need to be a little bit more bullish on the LA Dojo guys. The other thing too, uh, part of the question he mentioned, like if they were to clear up some roster spaces, they could poach talent from the outside. I think that's more like wishful thinking. Um, and I'm not saying that this is what Raising Falcon is specifically implying, but, you know, we talked to New Japan diehards and they're like, wouldn't it be great if they could like get like, uh, uh, who are some of those guys from Noah? Like K- Kano or. Yeah. Um, Nak- Nakajima. Yeah. Like Nakajima or Kano or whatever. They're like, you know, wouldn't it be, or like Kiyomiya, wouldn't it be like fucking crazy if they could pick them up? And I'm like, yeah, but they're, they're not gonna <laughs> like the only way that that happens is those guys are going to have to leave the, that company and go freelance and be out there in the wilderness for the, the taking. They're not going to just grab them from that company. It's not going to happen. And it doesn't matter if they had and grant. And the truth is new Japan could afford it. If they really wanted to, they could do it, but they're not gonna, because that is the culture, and it doesn't matter if they fired 20 people tomorrow. They're not going to go fill the roster with guys from Dragon Gate, you, you know, Noah and Big Japan and All Japan and all that. Like, it's just not happening. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't, I don't know. I, I always feel like sometimes various fans don't understand that it, it's not going to happen. It's not even something worth even considering unless, like, for instance, Kenta, you know, he left Noah, you know. Ishimori, he left Noah. You know, a lot of these guys, they leave that company before they come over. It's got to happen that way. Yeah, there's a better chance of like freelance, like Gaijin's being poached. Like we saw guys like Ricochet, yeah, worked Dragon Gate and then he did Super Juniors and then New Japan was able to, you know, snag him, stuff like that. So I think like foreigners coming over that that work Noah and DT and Dragon Gate, I think it's easier to get those guys to New Japan, but they're not going to just straight up try to poach um, a domestic talent from another company. The the one exception that might be more recent that someone might point to is like Shingo. And that's a little different because Shingo was kind of already on his way out. The company knew it. They were going to downcycle him anyways because of his age, just like they sort of are with other guys that we've seen over the past few years, like BB Hulk and Casey and yada, yada. I don't, I, you know, I'm not the biggest drag gate guy. But, like, he went to them formally. Well, and he was already working, like, all Japan and in the States and sort of. Right, he did a PWG, right? Yeah, he was already kind of wrapping up with them anyways, and they knew it. And then he went to them formally and, and like, respectfully was like, this is my plan. Do I have your blessing? And they gave it to him because what else was he going to do? Like, there was nothing left for him to do in the company. Right. (laughs) So that's kind of a unique situation. And. 
a one-off. The last thing I'll say about this question is he did mention the stagnation of the creative. I do think, and I've believed this for a while, and I'm not alone. I think there's other people who postulated that they probably said it before I did, that the long-term arc and story of New Japan from the time Okada returned, we're talking literally the night after Tana, literally actually the same night that Tanahashi defeated um, Suzuki at, what was that, Wrestle Kingdom 8, 7? Uh, yeah, I think it's 7. 6, I don't know, I forget. But from that period, all the way to the Rainmaker Shock, all the way going full circle to Naito winning the double gold dash against um, Okada in the Dome on the second night just before the pandemic started, that was the tail end of the the long story arc that Gato had set out to tell over that whole entire time period. That kind of encapsulates the quote-unquote golden era of New Japan, and they were moving into an entirely new phase because all the stories that they planned to tell with the old guard were capped. They were finished with Naito beating Okada in that that moment and now it was time to start telling new stories and elevating new guys and they did start doing that and then the pandemic happened and do i think that it was a challenge i think they were going to have a challenge whether the pandemic happened or not regardless yeah with with aw rising and with all the other things that we've mentioned in this question but now we're here and so yes i do think there has been some stagnation with creative. I think a lot of the stuff they did with show and with the house of torture and with evil, that stuff has not been good. There's a lot, we've been very critical of a lot of it on this show, but um, you know, make, make no mistakes about it. I still feel that we're in the midst of something very exciting right now with, you know, what's on the horizon with everything that's about to happen, especially with this next G1 coming up. Yeah. I feel like it's just like, bubbling right now it's getting ready to boil over oh last thing it's hard for me to also co-sign the idea that things are stagnating and and you know that they're going through a difficult period when we're coming right off that forbidden door pay-per-view granted yes that's an aw show but we got a taste of what aw new japan working together could actually feel and be like you know what i mean even if it's on a smaller scale i'm not talking about a Forbidden Door show here in Japan, which will probably happen, but even just bringing a couple of those guys periodically over to Japan and sending some of New Japan's guys over to them periodically back and forth, I mean, that was that worked wonders for New Japan and WCW in the 90s at various different times. So, I mean, I don't see how that could be anything but a benefit to both companies. Yeah, I think the more that New Japan works with AEW, it's going to help increase their visibility once again in the U.S. and kind of get maybe laps New Japan fans back to watching New Japan or even new AEW fans who've never watched New Japan or just heard names uh, tuning into that product. So I think there's a lot of great things going for New Japan right now. Also, like you mentioned, we still have, you know, Dick Togo in the booking room. There's still House of Torture stuff going on, but at least for the most part, at least in the last year, a lot of that stuff has been undercard it really hasn't you know mucked up too many shows but you look at like the the main event picture and some of the other tile pictures 
Uh, they've done some good stuff there, and like with uh, Tamatonga and, and that whole Bayface run that's happening. I, I think there's a lot of good um, booking and stories that they are doing. Um, if you kind of push all the House of Torture stuff to the side, uh, so a good question there. He also has another question. It says, uh, "I don't believe losing a G1 as the world chat world champion actually counts. It's an automatic loss, but the champion isn't really affected by it." So by this logic, Okada has competed in 10 G1s. He's won three of them and has been world champion in five of them. Out of 10 G1s, he's only actually lost two. One on top of that was Balloon Phase Midlife Crisis Okada. So in reality, one of his losses was a huge asterisk. Okada has essentially only lost one G1 and 10 and has been a part of and 10 and he's been a part of thoughts. That's interesting. Um, I'm trying to think. When was the G1 that he wasn't champion that he lost? Do you know? Um, so I know the balloon one. The balloon was what 2018. I don't know. I don't know why I asked that. I guess it's not really relevant. Um, I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. A, I think this is an interesting way of looking at things. But I mean, there can be truth to this, and it also not be true at all. I mean. At the end of the day, the the idea of the G1 was not always intended to determine who the number one contender for the world title was going to be. The idea of the G1 was to prove who is the strongest champion in, or strongest wrestler in the world, who is the top guy who's able to win this, you know, grueling round robin style tournament. And sometimes that was the champion, and and oftentimes it wasn't. But there's many times in history where the champion has gone to the finals or even won it. It just hasn't happened in recent history. And he is correct. The way Gato books, the champion's probably not going to win it. That's correct. And a lot of that is tied up in the addition of that stipulation where the winner of the G1 goes on to headline Wrestle Kingdom and challenge for the title. So that's kind of put a hamper on the idea of the champion winning, but it used to happen. And if you go back to before the G1, go back to its predecessors in New Japan's history, there were a lot of times where the champion did win the G1, namely Antonio Inoki. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it is interesting that there were there was one time where Okada was not the champion and was a viable contender, and he did not win it. Uh, was that against Nakamura? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think that is the year, um, now that I'm thinking about it. No, he beat Nakamura in the G1, didn't he? I'm getting, I'm getting matches mixed up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He be- well, he beat him in the finals that one year, and then the next year Nakamura beat him in the semifinals. So that's what it was. Okay. Um, but I mean, the reality is, he's been in ten G ones, and he's only won what? How many of them? Uh, three. Yeah, he's won three of them. Or how he's won three, and he's lost a bunch of them, and it doesn't matter that he was the champion or not. Like that—that's what the records show. <laughs> Right, and obviously from a, from a kayfabe standpoint, like you mentioned, like whether he's a champion or not, like the champion wants to win, wants to prove that he is 
Right. He should be champion because he's the best wrestler and win the the whole G1. Um, but, I mean, this is an interesting way to, to look at it. Um, it. It is interesting because there was one time where it was a high viability that he could have been the one to win it based on the fact that he wasn't carrying the strap. And, I mean, I don't know if I really buy into the whole broken Okada couldn't have won the G1 sort of thing. So, I mean, at, at least two other times where he could have won it without the title and he didn't that is interesting yeah at the same time he's been in a lot of g1s he's won three of them that's nothing to really like uh you know poke fun at because i mean that's pretty incredible he's in that elite level of guys that have won three g1s but uh he's also lost a lot of them so yeah and i mean i'm sure he you know he's still pretty young and will probably who knows win a couple more maybe yeah uh, so Raising Falcon's last question, do you think giving Shota Umino a huge push right out of the gate when he arrived to New Japan proper is a possibility, and would you do it if you were booking? Possibly. I mean, I definitely think that he showed a, an amazing accounting of himself during that AEW pay-per-view, but, you know, Anybody with the right machine behind them and the right setting and situation can have a great accounting of themselves. Look at Tom McGee. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's not just that one flash in the pan instance. You have to be consistently great on a level to where it's like you're a guy that they can trust, that they can give the ball to, and you carry it for prolonged periods of time, and they can depend on you, and you can draw, and, you know, you can wrestle at that top level. And even though he, even though I think that he probably has that in him, he still has a lot of questions to answer, especially when it comes to this system. You know, wrestling in New Japan is not the same thing as working in other systems. And I'm not like saying it's better or worse, but for what it is, it, you know, you have to be able to do these particular things, especially with it being a touring based business. So I don't know yet if I would, you know, put the whole machine behind him and push him like that. Um, but, hey, there were people who said the same thing about Okada, and they had their ideas, they knew what they were going to do, and they ended up being right with that gamble. So who knows? Yeah, I think for me, like we were talking about last week, I would really capitalize on what's going on with AEW and his relationship with Moxley. I would have him be... I'd give him a, for Tony Khan for a year, you know, team up with Moxley, have him and Mox go after like AW tag titles, be a part of Blackpool Combat Club. I would change up his whole look and, you know, more kind of dark colors, make it match kind of the Moxley Blackpool Combat Club um, aesthetic. And I would have him, yeah, be the U.S., work AW for a year, kind of become a big star in America. And then once that year is done, then I would bring him over to Japan and capitalize on all that momentum and push him hard from there. So that that would be my plan. Uh, next question's here from the Dark Soldier. Uh, first says, "Young boy, are you going to apologize to Orange Cassidy for calling him a wasteful opponent for Osprey at Forbidden Door? Their match was the best match on the show and showed Orange is a true wrestler." No, I, I'm not going to apologize because I'm pretty sure, and I don't know if I said this on the air, but, I mean, I always anticipated that the match would be great. Um, I, 
I don't know if I spoke to you or maybe it was somebody else off the air, but I definitely even went as far as to say, like, I feel like this is going to be the match of the night. I think just, I think we both did that on area. Yeah. Just based on who's in the match, the quality of the match was never in question. The quality of orange Cassidy as a wrestler was never in question. My, what was in question for me. And I don't know that it matters as much as I made it out to matter but I still kind of feel like it does a little bit um, is that Orange Cassidy is not a top guy in AEW and Will Ospreay is. And I would have much rather seen Will Ospreay wrestle a top guy. Now I'm not even hear, hear me out. I'm not even saying that if he wrestled one of the top guys in AEW, one of the big eight, that it would even be a better match. That's not what I'm implying at all. This could very well have been the best stylistic matchup possible, although I don't know if that's true. But because he's a world champion level caliber guy, like literally one of the tip, tip, top tier guys, big four, big five in New Japan right now, I wanted to see him wrestle a top guy in AEW. That's it. And I I felt like, Wrestling Orange Cassidy was beneath his station. Do I think that the match was fantastic? Yeah. Do I think that they both got over in the match? Yeah. Do I think that it uh, got a lot of acclaim, probably made you know fans of Osprey that saw it that maybe weren't fans of his before? Sure, definitely. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that TK was totally wrong. Uh, they over delivered in a lot of ways. We talked about that last week, the entire show top to bottom, just over delivered on everybody's expectations, including this match. But I'm not going to sit here and say (laughs) that my wish that Will Ospreay was treated like a bigger deal was wrong because I was right. I still think that he should have been treated like a bigger deal. Go back and watch that show. Did Will Ospreay feel to you like he was booked and treated and presented like a big four guy in New Japan? I don't think so. He seemed to me like an upper mid-card act, a fantastic upper mid-card act, but that was my big complaint. I wanted them to treat him on the same level as Tanahashi and Jay White. Yeah, cause I think you have obviously very valid points, and I think for the newer fans, like you mentioned, that are watching this, if you're not familiar with New Japan Pro Wrestling, you're not familiar with Will Ospreay, you're going to see this Will Ospreay guy feuding with Orange Cassidy, and you're going to be like, oh, yeah, he's, I guess Ospreay is a upper mid-card or some kind of mid-card guy in New Japan. But if, he was the top, right. if he was the top guy, he'd be facing Hangman, or he'd be facing Jericho, or, or, or exactly. whoever. Um, you know, he's a former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. He should have been um, booked in a higher slot against somebody in a big singles match. And you can say the same thing for Shingo Takagi. I mean, the guy carried... That's even more egregious, yeah. yeah carried, <laughs> carried New Japan on his back during the pandemic, had a great world title run, uh, and gets, you know, shoved in a six-man tag. And also, it was a fun six-man tag. And him teaming with uh, Darby and Shingo is, you know, super cool fire pro match but Shingo should have been another guy presented hey this is a former you know world heavyweight champion and he should have been mixing it up with a top AEW guy as well 
Yeah, did you see Hiromu's uh, promo backstage where he's like, I might never get to wrestle with Mr. Sting now? Yeah. Yeah, that's all. Shingo had comments, too, about wanting to wrestle in AEW again also. Yeah, he wants to go after titles in AEW, boy. (laughs) Uh, So Dark Sword. about it. Yeah, he's trying to get some gold. Maybe he can be uh, All-Atlantic. Bro, stop pushing (laughs) All-Atlantic. So Dark Soldier's next question says, the U.S. still feels like an important belt, but given how much it's been passed around like a yo lost, should Osprey run with the belt, tell Russell Kingdom to give it a nice, lengthy, but not overly long reign? You know, that really just depends on what the plans are for Will Ospreay going into Wrestle Kingdom next year because part of me says, yeah, that's not a bad idea, but what's more important here? Is it rehabbing the U.S. title and and facilitating whatever storyline with Will Ospreay you're trying to tell through that method? Or... Is it more important to get that title off Osprey, free him up for the big matches that are potentially on the horizon for Wrestle Kingdom? And I'm not sure which one's right or wrong. I mean, Kenny Omega headlined the Dome with Chris Jericho with the red belt, so I'm not discounting the idea that that's also a possibility for for Osprey. He could, you know, el- definitely elevate the title to that sort of level this year if that's what they're trying to do. But they that might not be the plan. Yeah, it's definitely a tough situation because we've we've been saying for a long time now that the U.S. title needs stability. It needs a really good, strong reign with strong defenses and, and a great champion. So, I mean, I, for one, would love to see Osprey, you know, run off a title and have some really great defenses. But like you mentioned he, he should probably be in, you know, world title scenarios or a, a big dome grudge match. Um, and so I don't know if that includes the U.S. title or not i mean i think it could but again you might want to use the u.s title on somebody else and we know right now that the whole u.s picture has been totally messed up due to injuries and illnesses i mean you would think that maybe osprey probably wouldn't even be u.s champion right now it'd probably still either be juice or maybe even sonata uh we don't know due to obviously sonata's orbital bone injury and then juice having appendicitis um the u.s title's been Totally thrown off course. So maybe the plans wasn't even for Osprey to have the belt right now. Uh, but again, if they are going to do something like you mentioned, where again we're probably going to get an, another double domes, we might even get a third one, maybe with AW involvement. But with multiple dome shows, I could see them saying, "Hey, let's try to elevate the U.S. title and let's use Osprey to main event one of these nights of the U.S. title." Uh, so Dark Soldier's next question says, if Tama doesn't win the Never title back from Carl Anderson, should Kushida win the Never belt? It takes him away from the junior division and gives him fresher opponents. The reason why Kushida left NJPW in the first place. Actually, I saw an interview where he was talking about WWE, and he said the reason he left because he wanted to headline WrestleMania with either Brian Danielson or Kyle O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> He, he was like, I took a chance on myself, and I thought I could make it to the. I thought I could be like Shinsuke Nakamura, and make it to like the big stage, and headline WrestleMania. And he's like, I didn't even make it to the main <laughs> roster. 
And he's like, I don't think I'm ever going back to America to work for another American company like that. Uh, so that's funny. But um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm fine with them putting that never title on him. I also felt at one point that they were maybe setting up Hiromu to come back and fight uh, evil for that title. But, you know, we're, we're kind of past that now. So, you know, um, I'm fine with Kushida being in the open weight division. That's a title he was trying to win before and he never was able to. And who knows? Maybe he goes heavyweight after that. <laughs> Yeah, I know his his new shirt. I think it says like the you know, the final piece or the found missing piece or something like that. The final piece of the junior division. So I don't know. It seems like, especially with the feud with Ishimori, it seems like he's gonna be in the junior division for a while. But I mean, yeah, it would be cool for him to uh, be never open weight champion and have some uh, matches with heavyweights. Yeah, I was listening to. I don't know, it was either Jcast or VOW, and they were talking about, like, people being like, well, he had to leave. There's nothing left for him to do. They weren't going to let him move up. And they're like, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, it was definitely Jcast. They're like, what are you talking about? Like, why? Why Why does someone have to move up from junior? It's not like uh, it's not like someone's in the heavyweight division for years and years and years, and then they're like, you know what? I need to, I need to move up super heavy, you know? <laughs> yeah they're fine where they're at because that's what their body type is and that's where they're slotted and that's what they're doing. And it really falls more so on the booking and the creative to continue to give them compelling things to do more so than anything else, you know? So I don't know. I'm not always so convinced that it's just this, the sense that it's like, Oh, well he held the junior title too many times. Like, well, I never stopped Jushin Liger. Right. I mean, huge never star. Jushin Liger like a, a a loser. Like he he was a big star until he left. You know, until he retired. So, like I don't I I don't get it really. Yeah, it, it it's creative more so than anything else. Yeah, I just think it's probably just the way that in all wrestling in bigger companies, how junior heavyweight slash light heavyweight slash cruiserweights are presented. You know, these guys are not always main eventing shows. They're always kind of seen as undercard kind of fun acts on cards are not always pushed to the forefront unless you get like a special talent like a Jushin Thunder Liger and so even in New Japan where sometimes juniors are treated like second class citizens and you know right. a juniors in there for heavy they're going to lose or you know juniors are only main eventing during super juniors tour um in fans eyes they see that and like oh man well I like Kushio a lot or I like Hiromu a lot and I want to see them get main events and win more titles. So I think we're um, kind of been trained, like, especially in the last couple of years, if you're a new fan, you saw it with Shingo and Will Ospreay, these guys that were juniors, they moved up to heavyweight and now they're world champions. They've made a bit of domes are getting huge pushes. So you're seeing that and you're like, yeah, I want that for Hiromu. I want that for Kushida. Um, but I think yeah. um, you can still have great success. Like you mentioned, the Jushin Thunder Liger in a junior division. But like you mentioned, it's all about creative and booking. Like, if they want to, you know, Hiromu's been saying for a while that he wants the juniors to main event a dome. Well, it's not just up to Hiromu. Like, Gato needs to lay out a plan to build up a compelling enough matchup that a junior title match could main event the dome. Like, obviously, Hiromu's super talented, and there's super talented dance partners that you can do it with, but you need a compelling story and a great build to get to that point. 
Yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. I don't, you know, I'm not 100% convinced that they need to do away with, like, the junior division and the junior titles and everything like that. I think that there's still room for them to have those things. But that's an argument that I've made for a long time, that it's, like, just because someone is a junior or just because they compete at that weight class, does that mean that they should be booked or viewed as inferior you know what i mean right and you look at the ufc and granted weight classes do exist for a reason to keep competition fair but like we've seen big stars come out of the you know and in boxing too out of the lower weight classes you look at floyd mayweather and conor mcgregor just to give you two you know notable examples and then even in wrestling you look at how wrestling was done all through the 70s, 60s, and 80s in England where they had weight classes, but those, like, you know, someone that was the lightweight champion was like, holy shit, they're the world lightweight champion. They're not seen as, you know, oh, they're the little junior. It's like, no, they're a world champion. and They could compete with anybody at any weight and be competitive because of the fact that their skill level was so high, kind of like how Bret Hart used to be viewed in the land of giants. Yeah. And even something that's a little more comparable is like modern day, you look at like CMLL and they still have all the traditional weight classes that they've always had. But you know, when Misty goes the top guy, he's the top guy. And it doesn't matter if he's wrestling someone that's a, a heavyweight or a light heavyweight or not, he can be anybody on any given day. And he's not, you know, it's not like, Oh, Mystico, <laughs> he's a fucking junior. He's going to, eat the pinfall in this six man tag. It's like, no, he's probably going over. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely think that there is no reason necessarily now granted. Do I think there is still a sense of realism between the fact that like is being heavier and stronger an advantage in a fight? Sure. And I, I, I don't think that that can be completely, totally discounted, but at the same time, I think you can also elevate uh, you know, smaller weight class guys and push them in believable ways. We've seen it with Rey Mysterio and Jushin Liger and countless names in different promotions through the years. So I, I don't see why they couldn't do something similar to that. Look at Darby Allen. Yeah, definitely. Great example. And Dark Soldier's last question. It says, people have already brought up Shota getting a huge push coming in and he should but so should Ren Narita, given he feels like the number two is Shooter's number one. And circling back to Shota, should Shota start his own Blackpool Combat Club stable in New Japan? I got to tell you, up until last Sunday night, Shota Amino did not seem like number one to me. Like, <laughs> Ren Narita seemed like number one to me. In fact, honestly, if you want my honest opinion, who I think is the guy, like the guy that like, and I could be wrong on this, but I don't think Shooter is going to be the top guy. I think he probably will be a top player just given how they're pushing him and everything. But ultimately, Yuya Uemura seems like to be the guy that I think is really actually going to be the true top superstar that carries the company. And maybe it's too early to say something like that. I might be putting too many eggs in one basket, but that's just the feeling I get. And I mean, yeah, I think it's going to be great when Shoto Mino comes back and when Ren Narita come back, but like long-term, I think he's the guy. 
Yeah, dude, Imura has shown a lot of great stuff in his time as a young lion and his time as an excursion and just with his mannerisms, the way he wrestles and carries himself, like all he needs is a fresh coat of paint and I think they have a main event superstar there. Um, you know, the thing with Shota Umino, you know, a lot of people, they saw the, the great performance at Forbidden Door, but they haven't been watching the whole excursion. They haven't seen what we've seen. <laughs> yeah, we, we've seen this guy, you know, struggling in, in Rev Pro over the last two years. And I know part of that was pandemic. He got kind of really out of shape and it's um, a lot going on, but he hasn't really put a lot together. You know, we've seen him in there with Osprey and. I don't say I don't want to say Osprey completely carried him, but I think Osprey did a lot to really elevate him in that match. Same when he wrestled guys like Ricky Knight Jr. Um, so you know, pre the Forbidden Door, like he really hasn't been knocking out the park in Rev Pro, uh, but he has gotten back into shape and he did look really good at Forbidden Door. Now he needs to kind of capitalize on that and have more good performances. He has, he has another challenge on his plate with Pac coming up for that All Atlantic Title match. Um, so if he can kill it there, then I think he can be on a roll and get to that point. But he's still putting all the pieces together where I feel like Renderita from an in-ring standpoint blows Omina out of the water right now. I just think they got to figure out exactly what Narita's gimmick's going to be or kind of his slotting when he comes back. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about Renderita at all. I mean, just look at look at the guy in the ring. He he blows most of the, he, like most of his contemporaries. He's better than them. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that's always going to keep him going. Right. Although it hasn't helped Ishii that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what do you think about Shota starting a, a Blackpool Combat Club in Japan? I don't know. I mean, I guess, but I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about there being like Japan versions of AEW stables. I mean, part of the whole appeal of that Blackpool Combat Club is like William Regal. Are they going to get a William William Regal-esque character to come over to Japan and, you know, carry that aspect? At the same time, I guess I wouldn't be completely opposed to it because, you know, we're always complaining about how things feel kind of stale on the um, stable, you know, front when it comes to new japan so maybe something like that could be cool but i don't know yeah it could be kind I, of, I, kind I i kind of i'm a little different than you jeremy like i do agree that they should lead i do agree that they should lean into the shooter mock stuff but i think that should only be an excursion gimmick i don't think he should ever come back with that at all i think he should come back the way almost everybody that comes back from excursion does Fresh coat of paint, except for like Ocon. Fresh coat of paint, fresh gimmick, fresh look, fresh everything. Maybe even fresh name. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like so, I mean, I think it's cool that maybe he does something like that, like for now. But I, I never imagined that what he's doing in RevPro was gonna even be somewhat carried over when he came back. I think he's gonna come back as a whole different dude. Yeah, I think the thing that. Just kind of throws it off as he had the the Ocon example. I mean, it's a slight name change from the Ocon to Ocon, but essentially doing the same gimmick he was doing on Excursion, which was typically you don't see that. Right. But then, you know, it's Ocon. You don't tell him what to do. 
Oh man, Greg, Greg O'Connor's living his best life. Bro, we haven't even talked about it. He's like out here, like posting all these crazy, like I don't like soft porn, like gimmick posts. Like I don't even know what the fuck is happening. Yeah, dude, this man is wilding out. Uh, amazing. <laughs> also, uh, he had backstage comments, you know, talking shit about FTR. Yeah, and Rapungi Vice. <laughs> Uh, so last two questions here from Les Commission 7252 uh, says I stayed in touch with New Japan ever since the Wrestle Kingdom match between Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega I then watched the G1 special they had months later but fully started watching NJPW in 2017 from the G1 Climax 27 the best G1 Climax I had ever watched with that being said years later after watching many more G1s which G1 final in 2017 to 2021 was the best final? That's a really tough question. For me, it's going to come down to either um, Omega versus Naito or Tanahashi versus Ibushi. And I think I'm in the Tanahashi-Ibushi camp, but I mean... It's splitting hairs at that point. They're both like, they're both literally like tip, tip, top tier. And what's funny is they both got overshadowed in the in their respective years for rest for match of the year by uh, an an Okada Omega match, probably rightfully so. But like in any other in any other year, they would have easily been like match of the year both of those matches. Mm-hmm. And they're two of the best matches I've ever seen in my life. So I don't know. Yeah, that is real. T- those are pretty much the two ones that I would struggle with too. I think I think I do lean a little bit more towards Tanahashi Ibushi. Uh, there's something Tanahashi coming back and winning the belt is like so amazing. And just the way he was like fire. I'll never forget the way he was firing up when Ibushi was just like slapping him, and he's just like firing up in the corner, like moving forward towards Ibushi. Um, just- if I had, if I had to like. Put it this way, I would say the better storytelling match, not that it's just strictly that, but the better storytelling match is Tanahashi Ibushi. The better, like, actual in-ring work rate is uh, Omega versus Naito. That Omega-Naito final where Naito beats Omega is one of the craziest matches I've ever seen. So... Yeah, like like pushing the boundaries of what wrestling is. So it's really hard for me to say one one or the other is better. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, twenty seventeen and twenty twenty one are a pretty great uh, stretch for G one finals. The Ibushi J White finals also very phenomenal. Yeah. Um, let's see. His other question here says similar to Yota Suji and Yu Yuamura. If you guys were young lions and were able to be sent on excursion, who would you choose as your last opponent as a send off? Tanahashi. I would say yeah, either either Tanahashi or Okada, because usually the, that kind of lends to good things for you in the future if you're facing off of uh, one of the aces before you leave. So I'm looking at cage match and I'm looking at the all time, you know. Um, the all-time matches that they have here. And it looks like Tanahashi Ibushi is literally 
it's the slot just above Omega Naito uh, in the all-time match guide. So we're talking about the number five and number six highest rated New Japan matches ever. Um, 9.78 versus 9.77. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, let's see. Dave gave... Let me see here. No, it's 9.77 versus 9.76. And he gave both of them five and three quarters. Back-to-back years. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally, yeah, splitting hairs between those two matchups. Yeah, but according to this, that would make um, Abushi Tanahashi the highest-rated G1 Climax final of all time. Mm. However, it would not be the highest-rated G1 Climax match. That would be the B-Block final from 2016 Omega Naito, the first one. Which that match was nuts also. That one's not. I like the final better, but that's the one that won match of the year that year in all the publications and stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, great matchup. Yeah, Kenny and Naito, man, those guys killed it every time they wrestled. Bro, they, they had, like, this incredible all five star match trilogy back to back to back and like no one talks about it. I know. It's weird. It's that it's that Kenny Omega <laughs> hate. We gotta, you know, erase him from the history books. I also think it's like part it might also be like Naito fans not liking that he got bested by <laughs> Omega. Yeah. <laughs> uh which makes me really want Osprey Naito because I feel like those matches could be nuts. Yeah, we've never had it. Yeah. That's a fresh matchup that we're waiting for. I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up being the G1 final this year. Could be. Yeah. All right, let's uh, close out here with recommended match of the week. So last week I recommended the Dominion 2014 junior tag title match with the Young Bucks taking on the time splitters Alex Shelley and Kushida. Yeah, you know, um, this match, I hadn't seen it in a long time, and for for whatever reason, I don't know why, I knew that they'd had a lot of great matches, uh, but this one just didn't, like, stick out in my mind and my memory, so going back and rewatching it, it it almost was like a fresh experience, and um, it blew me away. Like, it really blew me away, and on Cage Match, this is the second highest rated Young Bucks match in New Japan, and I think that's probably for very good reason. Um, just literally non-stop action, like incredible chemistry between these two teams. Uh, you know, we already kind of know, obviously, how great the Bucks are, but I think a lot of people forget how good the time splitters were, and they're kind of like an underrated tag team when it comes to like the annals of like New Japan and like their junior tag team division. But, um, yeah, these guys were just really magnificent, very versatile. There's a lot of technical wrestling, a lot of really good shtick healed them from the Young Bucks, all the goofy stuff that they do. Obviously, tons of flips, tons of high-flying action. Um, there was another Young Bucks match that you'd given me a few months back, uh, maybe like last year, that people really loved and went high for, and I wasn't as high on it. But this was one where... It just, everything just kind of worked. These guys were just super high work rate, super crazy fast pace. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it gets all the love, all the, the accolades 
for a very, very good reason. And, you know, they kicked it into super high gear. I mean, I don't know if I loved it enough to go higher than, say, probably four and a half, but for what it was, like, I thought this rocked. And if you haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it. I mean, it's 16 minutes, so it's not going to take up much of your time anyways. Yeah, it's an awesome, awesome matchup. Like, yeah, like you mentioned, I feel like Time Splitters, like we were talking about before, like Rapungi Vice, there's a lot of like great junior tag teams that don't often get talked about or forgot how great they were, and I think Time Splitters definitely one of those teams. The the four-man spots at the tail end were like really what was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this match rules. Then for the excursion match, you had us watch the GHC heavyweight title match with uh, Go Shiozaki defending against Satoshi Kojima at the Cyber Fight Festival. And I watched this man, and my man Kojima killed it here. Um, you know, kind of started off with slow feeling out process, and then uh, Go unleashed those those heavy chops of his. You know, one of the, the hardest choppers in the business, and. Really, you know, chopping down Kojima uh, early part of the match, also working over the uh, the lariat arm of Kojima, dropping some big knees to the back of Kojima's head. Um, Kojima would fire back, though, unleashing his uh, machine gun chops and uh, taking it to uh, go. And also a lot of really, like, big moves. It was very hard-hitting, a lot of big moves. Go busted out the Emerald Flosion that Kojima kicked out of. There was a, a great-looking brain buster that Kojima uh, gave to go and yeah these guys just went back and forth really hard hitting until uh, Kojima finally hit him with that strongest arm that big lariat to put go out and become the new GHC heavyweight champion what would you go ratings wise on this and do you think it's gonna get uh, consideration for excursion match of the year um, I'm probably around like four four and a quarter um, so it, it might be on the chopping block, um, cause also there's a lot of great stuff that's happening, especially with, you know, guys like Osprey and, uh, having, you know, great excursion stuff. So we'll see, but I think it, it's going to be a, a low, low end candidate possibly. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, um, that is going to take us to our recommendations for this week so this week i have the recommended match of the week and i am recommending one of the most famous new japan matches of all time um i believe it's available on new japan world should be if not you could definitely access it online um october 20th 1996 super great tag league uh, tag league six night eight as we see the first and only matchup between Jushin Thunder Liger and the Great Muda. Mm. And if you're wondering, this is the Kishin Liger match. Nice. So, um, now, this particular match is not... It, it is very good. It's good all the way around. It is not a work-rate classic, you know. So, if you're going into this, you know, hoping, expecting to see, like... Uh, a Will Ospreay-esque performance, you know, this isn't going to, or, or even like a, some of, some of Liger's more famous, like junior style matches. That's not what you're getting here. But um, the words I would throw out there for this match, unique, fun, and violent. 
That's what you're getting here. This is basically an anime style matchup between two two of the master characters in the whole mythos of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And um, even though there was uh, Muto Liger matches after this, there was never another great Muda Liger match after this. Mm. Definitely looking forward to checking that one. That should be fun. And then I have the excursion match of the week, and we're going to go with Titus Alexander versus Will Ospreay from West Coast Pro 3 Mannered from uh, May 13th of this year. Who's that? Titus Alexander. Yeah, I don't know him. Just some guy who had a great match with Will Ospreay. (laughs) Uh, Another Will Ospreay match. Another... (laughs) Four star plus Will Ospreay. <laughs> oh man, we have to watch all these great Will Ospreay matches. All right. Well, I will. Uh, do we? How do we get access to that? Is there? It's, all, it's on YouTube. This? Oh, okay. Gotcha. I was like, I was this the show that Jamie was at? No, Jamie was at the uh, Takeshita Speedball show. Uh, I think that was like last month. Jamie's our friend. You guys don't know him. <laughs> Well, that's going to uh, wrap things up for this week. Next week, we'll be back to preview G1 Climax 32. Chris Samsa will be on with us next week to uh, preview the G1 like he's done the last several years. Give us all his uh, stats that it gets all ready for this upcoming G1 in the uh, four-block four block format. So it should be a lot of fun previewing that and getting ready for G1 season. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On tour the show is at KI Strong Style. You can also follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex on Instagram. We are at Social Suplex on Reddit. I'm the Pro Black Guy. Y'all just Keeping It Strong Style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all of our other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bye. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.